from the Mercy One Studio. Support for Faith on Trial and Iowa Catholic Radio provided in part by Imogene Ingredients. Our freedom of conscience and religion is being challenged by laws and regulations imposed by secular society. It's time to hear from the top Christian litigators in the nation who have come forward to tell us the truth and help us defend our faith. Hear ye, hear ye. All rise. Faith on Trial with Defender of the Faith, Deacon Mike Mano is in session. And good Thursday morning from the virtual Mercy One Studios in West Des Moines. Uh, Gina and I again are here on Skype this week. Uh, she is in her house and I am in my little office in my house. And I hope we're going to keep the, um, uh, the uh, audio troubles uh, away this week. Every once in a while we have a snafu because of our connections here. But uh, anyway, good morning, Gina. Good morning. I would say all in all, this has worked rather well. It's very difficult, however, to have a conversation with you with not being in the same room. It is. It is. And every once in a while, um, my uh, audio hookup kind of blips out on me, so I sometimes get some uh, um, disruption in my reception. So, uh, and, and once in a while, I go off completely. I, I've got a cat that sometimes disconnects me here, too. <laughs> is Gilligan, is that her name? Gilligan, yeah. Yeah, she woke us all up a little before five this morning. She fell off the back end of the dresser, and when she fell, she hit every slat on the on the uh, blinds on the way down and woke us all up, and then we had to kind of dig her out from behind there. And so, anyway, she's a klutz. <laughs> I thought they were supposed to be graceful, but <laughs> this yeah. one is not. <laughs> it sounds like you have a, a yeah a defective uh, balanced cat. Yeah, I but think good so. Good to have, have entertainment during this uh, shut in. It is, it is, and I hope that uh, at least part of it is going to end shortly. Uh, I know I'm. Uh, I'd like to get to the uh, to the barber. At least my wife would like to, me to get to the barber. I don't know. I'm guess I'm going to grow my man bun here that I've always wanted. Well, my hair is growing, but. Uh, we're going to have to make sure that we get the uh, in-studio camera when you uh, start sporting that man bun. Yeah. <laughs> Although well, I hope it starts to end. Go ahead. You, you do record each week for us uh, a summary of what's coming up in the show. Right. So we could see you on Facebook if we'd like That's to. That's right. That's right. I put that up on Facebook on our uh, web page and on my page and I think you put it up on your page and the studio puts it up on the station's page and other people uh, share it so um, if you've been watching those things you kind of know who we have today and I think again it's going to be an interesting uh, show we have Richard Thompson who's the president and chief counsel for the Thomas More Law Center in Ann Arbor Michigan is going to be joining us we're going to talk about some problems they have up there with their attorney general and then Matt Staver the founder and chairman of Liberty Council uh, is going to join us, and we're going to talk to him about some of the happenings with the church closings around the uh, uh, the uh, nation, and especially with this one in Kansas City, which apparently now has been rescinded. So we'll talk to Matt about that. But uh, Kansas City, I guess, was demanding the names, addresses, and phone numbers of all those people who attended church services in Kansas City. Uh, you had to turn that over to the uh, to the government, I guess. And uh, seems to me we've got a big problem with that, which is probably one of the reasons why they're rescinding that right now. I think there's, um, from the coronavirus, I've noticed quite a few lawsuits acro across the country 
from all kinds of organizations and individuals that feel affected by uh, the overreach of government and law. Mm-hmm. Uh, attorneys will be well employed, I think, for many, many months after this uh, incident. I think so, too. Especially I've been following this case down in Texas where this gal opened up her um, her hairstyling salon and uh, she was arrested. Uh, the judge wanted her to apologize uh, to the community for being so selfish. And she said, hey, I'm just trying to support my family. we got no money coming in and, and my employees are trying to support their family. He says, a week in jail, $7,000 fine. And, and she, uh, I, she went to jail. She went to jail. I, my understanding is that the lieutenant governor in Texas paid the fine for her. I and, that. Uh, and And I guess there's a GoFundMe page for her that's raised over $50,000 already. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. But I think the judge, I've heard some things about the judge. I think the judge may be in a little bit of trouble with the voters here when, uh, when that comes out. That's from Dallas, Texas. That's a Dallas uh, city rule, not a Texas rule. Um, I suppose not to not confuse the two because one is under conservative leadership and the other is under rather liberal leadership and so they conflict there. But yeah, hopefully we'll get back to our studio soon too and then we can get to uh, uh, see one another uh, in person uh, and hand papers back and forth. The Skype stuff, it's nice that we have pictures. We can kind of signal each other, but... Uh, Hello. Yeah. Bye. We might have our guest. I, 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 anyway, I, I can hear somebody. I, I think what I think what's happening is the uh, um, answering machine in my um, office was on. <laughs> Although oh, I turned the cool. ringers off, I think that's what that was. I've turned the next week. I turned the answering machine off too. All right, do you have a prayer for us to open with? I do, and I, w- I just want to say today's show really focuses on hate, so it's very appropriate that we pray this prayer for love, and um, it's um, written by Pope Benedict. So, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Amen. God of peace, bring your peace to our violent world. Peace in the hearts of all men and women and peace among the nations of the earth. Turn to your way of love, those whose hearts and minds are consumed with hatred. Strengthen us in hope. Give us the wisdom and courage to tirelessly work for a world where true peace and love reign among the nations and in the hearts of all. Amen. Thank you. You're listening to Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio in Des Moines, Iowa. We will be right back after these messages. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Faith on Trial provided by Paul Martin and Paul Mitchell, owners of Imogene Ingredients. Imogene Ingredients supply specialized feed ingredients for livestock and pet diets to improve maternal and young animal health in both conventional and organic production. Hi, this is Father John Ricardo, and I want to thank Caldwell Parish Funeral Home and Crematory for underwriting Christ is the Answer. Losing a loved one, as we know, is never easy, and it can leave you feeling lost and even hopeless at times. But Caldwell Parish helps ease that burden by sincerely caring both about your loss and about your faith. Caldwell Parish Funeral Home and Crematory is Des Moines' only Catholic-owned and operated funeral home. The number is 515-276-0551 or online at caldwellparish.com. Thank you, Blessment International, for their support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Everyone lives their life 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. How we use that time directly affects if our life will leave a significant impact or not. Each year, Blessment International leads Central Iowans on a 12-day, all-inclusive experience sharing the heart of Christ with children in South Africa. Teams are forming to do something significant in an African child's life. Learn more at BlessmentInternational.org. That's BlessmentInternational.org. 
Is it time for a new roof? Then it could be time for you to get to know Bell Construction. Bell Construction is a roofing company entering its 30th year of business. They specialize in residential re-roofs, like commercial jobs, and have the experience to meet all of your roofing needs with personal service. With Bell Construction, the owner will come to your home or place of business in person to inspect and ensure the quality of work that you deserve. They pride themselves in working with you on a personal basis and making sure you are satisfied. Bell Construction, 515-963-4494. Join us on Thursday, June 4th for our annual gala benefiting InterVisions Healthcare. This year, Rebecca Hagen will share her emotional story of beginning a chemical abortion, but then minutes later changing her mind and how she was determined to reverse her mistake in an attempt to save her unborn baby. As a medical nonprofit, all proceeds from the dinner support our life-affirming services. We promise it'll be an evening that you'll long remember. For more information, visit IVHcare.org and thanks for supporting the women and babies of InterVisions Healthcare. Thank you, Big Red Q Quick Print, for underwriting the sports report. Family owned and operated since 1980, Big Red Q Quick Print is a full service print shop ready to help you with all your printing needs with speed and accuracy. Forms, manuals, brochures, letterhead, envelopes, business cards, custom invitations, design, and bindery. Big Red Q Quick Print, located across from Merle Hay Mall. Online at bigredq moines.com. Big Red Q Quick Print, we make printing easy. And we are back. This is Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio, and we have with us today Richard Thompson, who is the President and Chief Counsel for the Thomas More Center in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And uh, Richard, uh, Gina and I are here both by Skype, so if we get a little confused, uh, you kind of know what's going on. Um, as I looked at uh, what we wanted to talk to you about, and I dug into it a little bit more, it seems like... Uh, there's a lot of stuff that you are involved in up there, and uh, it's usually against your attorney general, uh, your best friend there, Dana Nussel. And uh, uh, let's uh, so let's just start there. Uh, can you give us a little background on who Dana Nussel is and what her uh, actions are as attorney general that has um, everybody so upset? Sure, uh, Dana Nessel is a newly elected. Attorney General uh, of the state of Michigan. She was uh, she took office in February, excuse me, in January of 2019. Um, she uh, is a avowed lesbian, married to a lesbian, and uh, she has been using her office to advance her uh, social agenda to the detriment of uh, Christian organizations. And uh, it's clear that she has weaponized the Attorney General's office, which is supposed to be the chief law enforcement officer of the state, to enforce the law uh, as a organization now that is focused on attacking Christians for specifically for their belief in traditional marriage. Um, and as a result she, of that... She has cur- She's created a, a hate crimes unit in the Attorney General's office, as I understand, uh, which is one of your problems. And that, that, that hate crimes unit is uh, determining uh, who are hate groups from the Southern Poverty Law Center's website. So uh, right. we've talked about this before, but can you give us a little thumbnail sketch of what the Southern Poverty Law Center is doing? Well, the Southern Poverty Law Center is a um, notorious, radical, left-wing, anti-Christian organization 
that every year uh, publishes an annual heat map report across all of the states in the United States and then focuses on each state um, individually. And in Michigan, in the 2019 heat map report, which really goes back to the hate groups that were operating in Michigan in 2018, he, uh, um, the, uh, the Poverty Law Center listed 31 hate groups operating in Michigan, and one of those groups was Church Militant, a nonprofit uh, religious media organization uh, which advocates traditional Catholic beliefs, and especially... Michael uh, Voorhees, marriage. I think, is their president. Yep, Mike, um, Michael Voorhees. And I know a lot of people are familiar with him. Yes, he's a very strong advocate of traditional Catholic values, and especially the belief that marriage is instituted by God and is uh, a union of one man and one woman. Now, it, you know, the Southern Poverty Law Center uh, goes after uh, Christian groups all across the country. But what happened in Michigan when they announced the 31 hate groups, uh, Attorney General nestled three days later in a joint press release announced that she was going to set up a special hate crimes unit to fight against hate crimes and hate groups, which uh, were allowed, she said, uh, to prol proliferate in Michigan. In a joint press release, which really bothered us and which caused us to take action, she, with the director of the Civil Rights Department uh, of the state of Michigan, had this joint press release and the director said in this joint press release with the attorney general that he was creating a database which would document hate and bias incidents that don't rise to the level of a crime or suitable infraction. In other words, it was going to be a thought police. And if, if you say anything that they consider a hate or bias uh, crime or or uh, uh I guess speech, I think speech is uh, important there, uh, that they would put you in a database and your name would be in a database. You would not necessarily know you're in a database, but they would have this in Lansing, Michigan, which is a state capital, in this computer database. So when we looked at that with the Southern Poverty Law Center, which the Attorney General said that they would use as their starting point to investigate hate crimes, and then the uh, director of the Michigan Department of Civil Rights say, and we're setting up a database of anyone who speaks about, let's say, traditional marriage or opposes same-sex marriage, they're going to be in a database. That uh, three-stage uh, uh, unholy alliance caused a lot of concern. So what we did was we filed a Freedom of Information Act request against the uh, Attorney General asking them for specific facts as it related to church militant uh, because it was mentioned as one of the uh, hate crime units. Uh, and knowing that Dana Nessel had a virulent uh, uh, opinion of Christians, especially Catholics, who uh, defended traditional marriage. We wanted to know what her plan was, and we asked a bunch of questions in the uh, Freedom of Information Act request 
uh, about you know, the composition of the hate crime unit, what would it be looking at, what kind of protections, constitutional protections, did they have in place to make sure that civil rights of uh, Christians was, were not being uh, violated, and what was their definition of hate crime? Because although they call it a hate crime unit, Deacon Mike, they don't have, we don't have a hate crimes law in Michigan. They, misnome, uh, they misname it or mislabel it. What we have in Michigan is called ethnic intimidation. In other words, if someone commits a crime in Michigan and that crime was motivated by uh, someone's ethnic uh, background, uh, that would be called ethnic intimidation, not a hate crime. And what it would do was it would add uh, uh, two years to the uh, penalty of the primary crime that was committed. So there always had to be a criminal act that was motivated by uh, an attack on the victim because of the victim's ethnic background. So so there's an enhanced penalty for for that. Yeah, it's a, it, it adds a, a couple of years penalty. Right. So And so, uh, so what hate act- crime did uh, uh, Michael Voorhees and Church Militant do? Well, that's the interesting part. Uh, but let me uh, say uh, one thing. That act has been in place for 30 years. It's nothing mm-hmm. new. Most prosecutors don't have to have a hate crimes unit if they investigate a crime and then determine that crime was uh, motivated by the victims uh, by the victims ethnic background well they said that uh, Michael Voorhees uh, church militant was anti LGBT that was what the uh, Southern Poverty Law Center indicated the basis for putting Michael Voorhees and church militant on their hate crime map so we ask these questions under the Freedom of Information Act. And originally, they refused to provide any information. The information that they provided was not directly uh, relevant to the questions we asked. And so we set up another uh, round of uh, explanations saying that you're not answering our questions. These are the questions we want answered. And if you don't answer them uh, in an amicable way, that we were going to have to file a lawsuit. They refused to answer, and we filed a lawsuit. Once we filed the lawsuit, all at once they turned over information they had, and they basically uh, they said that, you know, we have, we have uh, an ongoing investigation on church militant. That was the basis for saying we can't turn over the information. So once we filed the lawsuit, they were compelled by law to turn over what information they had, the investigative reports they had on Church Militant. And what we found out was that in March of 2019, uh, there, were, uh, there was an email that was sent by a, um, an employee of the uh, Bishop of San Diego who uh, was uh, designated by the bishop to run a ministry to the LGBT community. Uh, And Church Militant had found out about it after uh, several uh, articles appeared in various newspapers and 
a lot of Catholics were upset by it and was uh, questioning uh, the bishop at the time. And the uh, person uh, whose name was Bianco, uh, he wrote a letter to the Attorney General's office saying, I was appointed by the Bishop of San Diego to develop and run a ministry to the LGBT community. Church militant found out and went on a campaign to try to get me fired. I have linked a few articles, uh, one from the front page of the New York Times to illustrate the pain I was caused. Number one, Church militant didn't get involved in the case until uh, a year later and then uh, talked about what other people were saying about uh, this individual, uh, Bianco. Uh, the email continued on, and this is important, the email continued on. This is Bianco saying, I don't believe that employees of Church Militant flew out to California and perpetuated the actual crimes against me. Now, I know you're a lawyer, Deacon uh, uh, Mike, so you know that Right. If the state of Michigan doesn't have jurisdiction, if the crime occurred in California, <laughs> the state of Michigan doesn't have jurisdiction. Right. Uh, yeah. Bianco himself says, I don't believe they came, uh, employees came from Michigan to uh, California to slash my tires. And so right there, that should have ended any kind of further action by the attorney general's office. But they put a special investigator on it. The investigator uh, took a narrative statement. It didn't change, and so by April uh, of that year, the investigator had already stated, April 2nd of 2019, that he interviewed uh, Bianco, uh, and uh, he gave the statement that there, there was no, there was nothing tying church militant into any crime in California, and that should have been the end of it. But they kept on, they kept on, the, the, the investigation was kept alive for whatever reason, and, it, and when we filed our lawsuit, they were obliged to turn over that information, and basically uh, found, we found that there was never any uh, a crime committed, or even alleged crime committed by church militant. Okay, it seems like what we have they... here is an eternal dispute within the church family, uh, one over uh, LGBT ministries and one side saying, you know, we're opposed to the LBGT thing. And so the Attorney General of Michigan takes it upon herself on the basis of uh, email to investigate one side, which is the side that does not support LGBT rights. Is that about sum even it up? Though she re- yeah, even though, y- y- absolutely. And even though she didn't have any jurisdiction, she kept the investigation alive. Now, what we, we filed our lawsuit, and we've now uh, said we want discovery. We want to know exactly what you knew, what uh, Southern Poverty Law Center told you about Church Militant. We want to see exactly what, you know, what information did Southern Poverty Law Center have to put church militant on its hate crime uh, map? Was it just because they uh, supported uh, traditional marriage and opposed same-sex marriage? Uh, we want to know how closely tied the Attorney General's office is to Southern Poverty Law Center. 
The other part of it is that in another case that was decided in uh, 2019 in Buck versus Gordon, the chief judge of the Western District of Michigan found that Nessel, Attorney General Nessel, attempted to stop St. Vincent Catholic Charities from, from performing adoption and foster placement services because it professed a Catholic belief on marriage. I think you wrote about that. I think you had a... I wrote about that, that in The Wander, yeah. And it was, uh, it was yeah. a travesty. What uh, she did is she stepped in. Uh, there was a a ACLU uh, uh, filed suit against uh, the Department of Human Services there for contracting with this Catholic agency. Uh, the uh, Originally, uh, uh, the, Michigan was on the defense. They were deciding with the Catholic agency. When she became the Attorney General, she switched sides and then cut a sweetheart deal with the ACLU that uh, the uh, result was you had a a court uh, agreement that read like a um, a, a piece of uh, of um, a statue, uh, like a statue from the legislature, right. it was, yeah. and uh, they and they froze the Catholic organizations out on that and got that um, ran that through a judge. I don't know how they got a judge to uh, sign off on that, but they did, and that's what was overturned by the chief judge then. Right. Saying, and, and the important part of that, when he had turned it, overturned it, in his opinion, he said, and I'm quoting, St. Vincent was targeted based on its religious belief, and it was Defendant Nessel who targeted it. And so right. he, you know, he just basically said she was, uh, she had an animus towards religion, towards the religious beliefs of Catholics. And uh, that he wanted, and that the judge overturned that, uh, what I would call sweetheart deal that she had developed right. with uh, <laughs> with the ACLU. So Gina? all of that, pardon me? Uh, Gina, I think, had a question for you. Richard, oh, okay. I, I find it interesting that the judge uh, called her out on it. And while listening to you this morning talk about all of these uh, attacks on the Catholic Church in Michigan, I can't help but think about uh, all that U.S. Uh, Attorney General Barr has been doing for the advocates, uh, as an advocate for those of faith, um, and the attacks on their liberties around the country. Have you had any um, contact with them, or have they stepped in to try to rein her and her attacks uh, in? Has the federal well, government been I of any assistance in it? Her, she started backing away as soon as uh, it became clear uh, with the Judge Jonkers, that's the uh, the federal judge that took her to task, and that the Freedom of Information Act request that we filed, uh, people started to um, get wise as to the political agenda she had, and she started to back away from that. The Michigan Department of Civil Rights, the director, also started to back away from it uh, because people were concerned about constitutional liberties, and we were developing a thought police uh, out of the Attorney General's office in the Michigan Department of Civil Rights. Uh, Attorney General Barr's statements on religious freedom are spot on. He is, basically, he said, you know, we have to start talking about religious freedom. He's going to keep an eye on what is happening uh, across the country, 
where uh, states under the guise of protecting us from COVID-19 are really uh, destroying the religious freedom of Christians to practice their faith. And so he's looking at situations where there is arbitrary action being taken and that the Justice Department would come in and uh, represent or at least file what is called an amicus brief on behalf of the religious organizations. You know, we're absolutely lucky that we have that man sitting in that position because he is a huge defender of religious liberty. And uh, I write about this stuff all the time, as you well know. <laughs> I think you've got a dozen of my uh, right. columns there. But uh, uh, him stepping forward, I think, has backed a lot of people down from some of the things that they've been doing. We're going to have to end it real quick, but what I did want to ask you is one question, and that has to do with a, something completely different. Out in California, uh, the uh, Attorney General out in California was trying to get from you a list of all your donors, and there was a suit filed, I think, uh, uh, the uh, initial uh, result was that you won, didn't have to turn those over, then it was reversed by the Ninth Circuit, and I think that was going up on appeal to the Supreme Court. Uh, can you give right. us an update on that case? Sure. Now, uh, as you know, uh, you can, the uh, Supreme Court has decides in a secret meeting whether they're going to grant a petition for certiorari, mm -hmm. in other words, review. And it takes uh, four justices who meet in secret to, uh, to say, yes, we want a grant review. What they did was they, uh, and, uh, which is not that usual, they asked the Solicitor General of the United States to see if he wanted to file a brief in support of one side or the other. And what happened is that uh, just a few weeks ago we had a phone conference with the Solicitor General and several of the department heads uh, of different departments in Washington, D.C., getting the facts of the case from the attorneys uh, representing us. Uh, he is, the, the Solicitor General is also going to get uh, the same kind of conference call with the uh, Attorney General from California to determine whether the Solicitor General wants to step in and make a decision. Now, obviously, for us, it is a matter of, um, you know, religious freedom and freedom of association. Because we are a public interest law firm and we take on positions that many times are controversial, at least to the uh, left wing, we're concerned that people who donate to us, who uh, are at a certain level, can be um, persecuted by, you know, the companies that they work for or just by being shamed uh, if they own their own company by attacks on them by, you know, outsiders. Boycott, like what happened with the Proposition so 8 petitions where the signers of those petitions were all, uh, a lot of them were blackballed by employers and things. we got to let it go at that. Yes. We're running out of time. Richard Thompson, President and Chief Counsel of the Thomas More Law Center, thank you for being with us today. We certainly appreciate it. And by the way, the controlling case in, uh, in your case out in California is NAACP versus Alabama, which I'm sure you have already pointed out to them. Oh, yes. Richard, thank oh, you yes. for joining. Thank you sure. for joining us. Uh, we appreciate it. You're listening to Faith on Trial with, uh, on Iowa Catholic Radio, and we will be back in a few minutes. Is it time for a new roof? Then it could be time for you to get to know 
Bell Construction. Bell Construction is a roofing company entering its 30th year of business. They specialize in residential re-roofs, like commercial jobs, and have the experience to meet all of your roofing needs with personal service. With Bell Construction, the owner will come to your home or place of business in person to inspect and ensure the quality of work that you deserve. They pride themselves in working with you on a personal basis and making sure you are satisfied. Bell Construction, 515-963-4494. Join us on Thursday, June 4th for our annual gala benefiting Intervisions Healthcare. This year, Rebecca Hagen will share her emotional story of beginning a chemical abortion, but then minutes later changing her mind and how she was determined to reverse her mistake in an attempt to save her unborn baby. As a medical nonprofit, all proceeds from the dinner support our life-affirming services. We promise it'll be an evening that you'll long remember. For more information, visit IVHcare.org and thanks for supporting the women and babies of Intervisions Healthcare. What is the best gift ever? Giving a Catholic education is at the top of my list. Your contribution to CTO helps families send their children to our Catholic schools who otherwise could not afford it. In giving to CTO, you receive the best tax credits ever. Pledge or donate online at ctoiowa.org. The bottom line, it's for the kids and their future. Support for Dowling Catholic Sports 365 is provided in part by Ashworth Vision Clinic with two licensed optometrists, Barbara Sheets, a Dowling Catholic graduate, and Dr. Todd Pedig. The Ashworth Vision Clinic team provides complete eye exams, contact lenses, glasses, glaucoma testing, and pre- and post-operative care. Ashworth Vision Clinic is located at Ashworth and 60th Street in West Des Moines, 515-440-4610, online at ashworthvision.com. Thank you, Dental Associates, for underwriting Dowling Catholic Sports 365. With over 40 years' experience, Dental Associates is a group dental practice with the mission of promoting optimum health and well-being to all patients, providing preventative, restorative, and cosmetic dentistry for the entire family. Message underwritten by Dr. Kenton Gleichman, Dr. Steve Carbaca, Dr. Christine Mulcahy, and Dr. Ben Nagel. Dental Associates, addressing your smile, needs, and dreams. Online at Des Moines-DentalAssociates.com. Here's your forecast on Iowa Catholic Radio. We have a cold front over the area today. That'll be bringing us some showers this afternoon, and our temperature will be in the mid-60s. Showers overnight and down to about 40. Things quickly clear out tomorrow with high pressure moving back in. It will be a breezy but sunny day, our high cooler mid-50s. The weather is brought to you by Divine Treasures, a Catholic book and gift store serving the Des Moines community for over 25 years. I'm meteorologist Steve Hamilton on Iowa Catholic Radio. And we're back. You're listening to Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio. And with us right now is Matt Staver, who is founder and chairman of Liberty Council. And uh, Matt, welcome to the program. Thank you. Good to be with you. And uh, I I warn you a little bit that we are doing this partially by Skype. My co-host and I are appearing (laughs) by Skype. And so we may get uh, some of our signals confused a little bit. So just kind of bear with us, if you will. Uh, there was a case that you were involved, because you're involved in a lot of cases involving religious liberties, and we want to talk about some of the others. But there was one a specific 
egregious case in Kansas City, Kansas. I think they uh, moved back from the position that they had, but they were trying to get the names and addresses of all the people that attended church services there. That's right. Yeah, they had this uh, 10-10-10 rule, and the 10 was no more than 10 people. This is, and churches right now in that area can't even meet, even in parking lots. So they had this 10-10-10 rule that when they open it up, you would be able to, and it was supposed to be May 6th as when it started yesterday, mm-hmm. that uh, you could have no more than 10 people or 10% of the building capacity. And anyone who was in there for 10 minutes or more, you had to record their name and contact information. And you had to keep that on record for a minimum of 30 days. And they said the reason why they wanted it is, is so that they could, quote, quickly trace, test, and isolate individuals. And that's a quote. Because they said if someone somewhere was related to, associated with someone who may have tested positive or be suspected of positive for COVID, every one of those would be quickly traced, tested, and then isolated. So you can imagine whether you're a church member or not, you're at this uh, door, and now you're coming to church when they first begin to open. They throw you a few crumbs to be able to open 10 people inside, whereas the liquor stores and all the other stores are completely packed. So now someone comes, and um, they are asked, uh, what is your name? And you give them the name, and what is your contact information, your address, other kind of contact information, email, cell phone. And the natural question is, why do you need that? Well, because uh, we have to take it down. We have to give it uh, uh, to the government if they ask for it so that they can quickly trace, test, and isolate you in the event somebody might be at some point in time suspected to have been associated with COVID in the, in the meeting. And what would you say? You would say, no way. There's no way I'm going to do that, especially if you're now seeking to go to a church. And many people, once these uh, restrictions are being lifted, some may never have been to church. Others are certainly wanting to go to church. They're wanting to find a church. And so they're going to a new church that they've never been to before. There is no way that that new individual, let alone members, would want to have all that information available so that they could be quickly traced, tested, and isolated. Yeah, you know, when I first heard of this, it reminded me of that situation in Houston a couple of years ago where they were subpoenaing the um, uh, sermons and the homilies by uh, the pastors in the, uh, in the area. Yeah, exactly. It's very similar to it. And so they literally are targeting places of worship. And this is for any denomination, any church. You have to take down these names. Now, you also were advised in this order that if someone refused to give you that information, uh, do you let them go in? No. You refuse them entrance or you refuse them any kind of service that you may be providing. So you can't come in. So if somebody says, well, I can't. I don't want to give you my name or contact information. They'll have to say, you, I'm sorry, then you, you can't come into our service today. Imagine did they that. require this in uh, abortion facilities? No, not at all. Abortion facilities, <laughs> they think, are essential uh, services. You know, killing... The, uh, one of the things that is amazing is in the states, it's a very clear parallel. In the states where you have the most restrictive rules, orders on houses of worship... You have governors that are the most pro-abortion in the country. And if they're not going to respect the sanctity of human life that God has created in his unique image and each one with human dignity that he has created them to be, they're not going to respect 
freedom, and they're not going to certainly respect religious liberty. And you see a direct correlation like that. If they don't respect life, they're not going to respect uh, liberty. So these abortion centers, they are considered essential services. Yet, in the same states, you can't get treatment for cancer, chemotherapy, um, prostate cancer. I know people that are in all these categories, surgeries for other kinds of uh, conditions that I would have never thought are elective or banned. But something that clearly is elective and is literally the taking of a human life, they say it's essential. Wow. Yeah. And liquor stores are and liquor essential. Stores. Liquor stores are essential. In every one of these states that I've seen these restrictions, liquor stores and abortion uh, clinics are in the essential category, which means they get special treatment. And in some yeah. cases, you know, like, for example, in Kentucky, uh, we have a case that we won over the weekend at the Court of Appeals with a 3-0 to zero decision from the Federal Court of Appeals. In that particular situation, on Easter, on Easter, they were having just a few people inside, but that wasn't the issue. They had parking lot service. They had the message being broadcast outside. People were in their cars. The state troopers at the direction of the governor, Andy Bashir, who also is very pro-abortion, they came and they put notices of quarantine on each one of the vehicles. And then a few days later, the governor followed up with a letter demanding that each one go into quarantine. They couldn't travel out of the county. They'd have to take their temperature at a specific time every day and report that to the county. Now, again, understand, these people don't have any symptoms. They could have gone just a few blocks away to the liquor store, the Walmart, Kmart, Lowe's, any of the super centers, the big box centers, and so forth. They could have gone into those parking lots. They could have turned on the radio and listened to radio by a message from their pastor if, if that was available. But they could have turned on the Christian radio station, for example. listened to it. The whole church could have done it. No problem. But because they were in a church parking lot, the governor said, we're going to target you and we're going to isolate you. As a result, some people on Monday when they went back to work or Tuesday when they were in work, they were inquired by their employers, don't you go to that particular, aren't you a member of that particular church? And when they said yes, uh, some of the employers furloughed the members, and one of them actually got a letter of termination on Wednesday right after the church service. And they didn't it even seems ask, you to know, me what, that what these, uh, some of these governors and mayors, uh, they're following up on a, on a particular animus they have against religion. And they're kind of using this coronavirus epidemic that gives them some extra powers, I guess, for emergency situations uh, to exploit that. Yeah, I think you're right. And that's what we're seeing around the country. And obviously there is a constitutional boundary that says you can't do that. Look, we have about 500,000 or so uh, churches in the country, Protestant, Roman Catholic, and Orthodox. Each one has different doctrine or different forms of worship or different sizes, different communities. There's no one-size-fits-all, of course. And that's the same within the state, just a lower number but lots of different variety. And yet they're putting this template across the board and saying, you have to abide by my orthodox view of what is essential to your faith. And in some cases, they're saying only online services are essential. No, no in-person, no 10-person limit, no 5-person limit, zero, and no parking lot services, nothing. And that communion is not essential to you, no matter how much you take uh, precautions to do it. 
uh, we're just going to dictate that it's not essential. You know, the government does not have the authority under the Constitution to dictate the form and manner of worship, to dictate how you're going to worship online versus in person or in the parking lot only as opposed to something else where you're not getting out of the vehicle, or that you can or cannot have communion, or that you can or cannot have music, or any variety of the other things, or that you can or cannot have only ten people. When, in fact, you go to the secular places of gathering and the parking lots are jammed and people inside Mm -hmm. are full of people. And, you know, for many of these stores that are out there, it's literally like an elongated Christmas shopping season because they are packed. I've never seen a place, even early in the morning on Sunday, that doesn't have a packed parking lot. Yeah. Um, I think this is helping to bring awareness to the uh, issue of religious liberty around the country, though. Some of the, uh, you know, some of these people seem to have gone way too far. Yeah. And uh, I, we were just talking with another guest earlier. We're happy that uh, in Washington, uh, Bill Barr is uh, sitting in the attorney general's office. I think he's been a, an enormous help. He has, and and as a result of that, uh, they filed the Department of Justice under the direction, of course, of uh, U.S. Attorney General Bill Barr, filed in our case uh, on Sunday afternoon. So that just goes to show you how serious and important they consider these cases to be. They worked over the weekend and filed Sunday afternoon. This is a case in Virginia, and it's uh, a church that does not have online. It has no Internet. So they can't just flip off a switch and go to a podcast. Many other people have no Internet. Some of their people are former uh, drug addicts. Uh, They've come out of uh, drug addiction. And some are former prostitutes. For some, this church is their only family. This church takes them to medical appointments and does so many other things, helps them with disability claims and whatever it may be. This is their family. So on Palm Sunday, they had 16 people in a 293-seat sanctuary. 16 people. You can imagine how far apart they were spaced. And at the end of the service, the police officers approached the pastor, and they gave him a summons for a criminal charge, that the penalty of which is uh, up to a year in jail and $2,500 fine. And they said uh, to the pastor and the other 15 people that were there that if any of you come back on Easter... Uh, we will give all of you this criminal summons and fine. So this church had no opportunity to do anything online at all. It just doesn't have the capability. And consequently, they had no Easter service. That's the case that we filed suit on, and that's what's being litigated right now in Virginia. And so Sunday afternoon, the U.S. Department of Justice filed its what's called statement of interest. It's actually a legal brief. Uh, siding with us, saying that this unequal treatment, citing the exact same thing that we talked about, how all these secular places of gathering are permitted, but no religious gatherings in, in Kentucky are permitted. Um, in Kentucky, I'm sure I should say Virginia, Virginia had a 10-person limit. So, look, this pastor gets criminally charged for having six people over the governor's magic number of 10, even though they're far and wide distance from each other. And even though on Sunday morning the parking lots of these other secular places of gathering, including liquor stores and so forth, they're all filled with cars. Um, So that's the – I am very glad that Bill Barr in the Department of Justice has really taken a strong um, approach to this. In fact, yesterday Vice President Mike Pence uh, was asked about this very case on the Brian Kilmeade radio show, 
and uh, he was strongly in favor of the church and against what the governor was doing and certainly supports, obviously, the Department of Justice taking a, a proactive uh, stance to protect and defend religious freedom. Yeah, I, I know in one place uh, uh, they had uh, like six people who were uh, doing a video service online for their parishioners, and, uh, and they closed that down. Yeah. And there was a, another case, and you mentioned music, there was another case where they let them go ahead, but they told them they couldn't have any music. Right. I mean, yeah. I, I think this is going way over the top, and I hope this is bringing uh, an attention to this uh, whole idea of religious freedom that we've been talking about for such a long time, and that now we can see the flip side here of how egregious it really can be. You throw that in with the Little Sisters of the Poor and things that are happening, mm -hmm. uh, and you've got, uh, you've, you've got a real problem here in this country right now with that. And fortunately, like we say, we have Bill Barr there uh, who is weighing in on these things. Yeah, for sure. We're actually filing uh, either this evening or certainly no later early in the morning in Illinois on behalf of some Romanian pastors. Now, these are pastors. In fact, our chief litigation counsel, Horatio Mehed, is from Romania. His first day of freedom in his life was as a 12-year-old boy on December 25, 1989, when Ceausescu uh, was removed. Actually, he was executed on that day. The revolution took place because a pastor was arrested two weeks earlier, and the people just said, enough is enough. Yeah, and I think that that's represent. what's happening now. Uh, yeah. We're going to—we're running out of time here right now, but uh, Matt, I wanted to give you an opportunity to give us your web page so people want to follow up on these things or even make sure. a donation to how to get a hold of you. Yeah, they can go directly to lc.org, lc.org. You can make a donation there. All that we do, we do at no cost, and we're a nonprofit tax-deductible organization. We also have a web page there on the top. You can scroll on it and click it at the top. It's uh, reopenchurch.org. And that's uh, regarding churches that begin the process of reopening some guidelines to follow. So lc.org is the website. Thank, thank you. you very much. Matt Staver, founder and chairman of Liberty Council, thank you for being with us today. This is Faith on Trial on Iowa Catholic Radio, and we will be right back with you in a few minutes. What is the best gift ever? Well, some might say a Catholic education, and I agree. But if you think you can't afford Catholic education, think again. Apply for CTO and you could receive up to half your tuition for kindergarten through 12th grade. More information is online, ctoiowa.org. The bottom line, it's for the kids and their future. Support for Dowling Catholic Sports 365 is provided in part by Ashworth Vision Clinic with two licensed optometrists, Barbara Sheets, a Dowling Catholic graduate, and Dr. Todd Pedig. The Ashworth Vision Clinic team provides complete eye exams, contact lenses, glasses, glaucoma testing, and pre- and post-operative care. Ashworth Vision Clinic is located at Ashworth and 60th Street in West Des Moines, 515-440-4610, online at ashworthvision.com. Thank you, Dental Associates, for underwriting Dowling Catholic Sports 365. With over 40 years' experience, Dental Associates is a group dental practice with the mission of promoting optimum health and well-being to all patients, providing preventative, restorative, and cosmetic dentistry for the entire family. Message underwritten by Dr. Kenton Gleichman, Dr. Steve Carbaca, Dr. Christine Mulcahy, and Dr. Ben Nagel. Dental Associates, addressing your smile, needs, and dreams. Online at Des Moines-DentalAssociates.com. 
doing what is challenging because it's right. That's Blackbird Investments. In 2013, Blackbird Investments was born from the inspiration of St. Kevin. When it comes to building real estate, they look for creative solutions by forming strategic alliances, creating energy-efficient buildings, and engaging with local craftsmen. At its core, Blackbird Investments believes in giving buildings a new life. BlackbirdInvest.com. Blackbird Investments, doing what is challenging because it's right. Thank you to Mercy College of Health Sciences, downtown Des Moines, for underwriting our show, The Uncommon Good, with me, Bo Bonner. And I'm Bud Marr. A degree from Mercy College provides endless possibilities. Students have access to patients with complex medical conditions, state-of-the-art medical facilities, highly motivated healthcare professionals, and classroom professors that transform them into servant leaders. You can start the programs in fall, spring, or summer. There are endless possibilities available online at mchs.edu slash kwky. Thank you, Skeffington's Formal Wear, for sponsoring Dowling Catholic High School football. In business since 1951, Skeffington's Formal Wear offers quality service, style, and selection, providing tuxedos, suits, and casual groom attire for weddings, proms, and any other special occasion. Skeffington's Formal Wear, with convenient locations in Des Moines, West Des Moines, Davenport, Coralville, and Ankeny. All locations are family-owned and operated by members in their respective communities, fitting you for life celebrations, online at skeffingtons.com. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Faith on Trial provided by Paul Martin and Paul Mitchell, owners of Imogene Ingredients. Imogene Ingredients supply specialized feed ingredients for livestock and pet diets to improve maternal and young animal health in both conventional and organic production. Information about Pharmatan and other products at ImogeneIngredients.com. Paul and Paul are members of St. Augustine's Knights of Columbus and encourage their brother knights to keep standing for their faith. This is Faith on Tron, Iowa Catholic Radio. And Gina, we had an interesting program today. Um, we went long on a lot of these things uh, today, so we don't have much time to wrap up here. Well, I have to say, I'm glad the Faith on Trial is back on the air um, while we're the coronavirus has delivered technical challenges for us. It has definitely opened up um, a vast supply of material showing how those of faith are being, uh, their liberties are under attack by this. They, they certainly are, right. And uh, before we go, we did want to mention that uh, the bishop sent out a letter to everybody this past week uh, recommending that uh, um, uh, uh, Iowa Catholic Radio is a good place to uh, go for uh, during this time when uh, uh, everybody is kind of locked up and can't get out to uh, masses and confession and all those things, that there's a spiritual component here. And so we want to thank the bishop for doing that. Especially during the month of Mary, I want to point out that Iowa Catholic Radio will help you walk through the rosary both at 5.30 a.m., 9.30 a.m., and again at 9.30 p.m. Right, and the bishop has his own program on Friday mornings, so you exactly. can listen to what he has what he has to say there. All right, uh, we're about out of time now. Let's uh, end with our prayer to St. Michael. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, thrust into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Well, that's it for today. For Gina and all and myself, thank you for listening. Join us next week 
when we're going to have as one of our guests, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, who is the executive editor of EWTN News. We will see you next Thursday. Our freedom of conscience and religion is being challenged by laws and regulations imposed by secular society. Faith on Trial with Defender of the Faith, Deacon Mike Mano. Faith on Trial, Thursdays at 10 a.m. on Iowa Catholic Radio, iowacatholicradio.com, and the Iowa Catholic Radio app. Support for Faith on Trial and Iowa Catholic Radio provided in part by Imaging Ingredients.